Thank you. Thank you, Alex. Welcome, everyone. Good morning. It's so great to see so many people here and so many, a couple of new faces who've decided to join us here. We're going on week four since we've been back as meeting as a church, and it's been, been great to just see people come out and sing and praise God with us. We just thank you guys for, for coming today and just joining us as we just sing songs of praises and, and we learn about our Lord and Savior. And you guys came here and decided to join us and we pray that, you know, the service we put together and everything will be edifying and it will be convicting to everyone. We just want to say, you, as you've known, since we've started this pandemic, we've still been going through the book of Ephesians. We started it back in, in January and we kind of just kept pushing through, even through all of this. And if you were with us last week, you know, we started into this new section where Paul kind of just takes the next several verses to just talk about the family unit and the relationships that we have within our family and how God has designed the family to function. And so last week, Pastor West was in Ephesians 5, 22 through 33, and we talked about the roles and what, what the wives and sp- how spouses are to interact and, and what is their calling within the family unit. And we talked about how wives are, are to submit to their husbands because of what Christ has done for them and that uh, husbands are called to love their wives because and love their wives as Christ has loved the church and how that plays an important role in the family and how through that, through living that out in our marriage, we magnify the gospel to the rest of the world. And this week is no different. We keep moving along in this familial relationships as Paul now focuses his, his, his time on children and parents and on how we as a family unit, as children in the family and as parents in the family, how we are to function in the way that God has designed us to function in that and how we are to live that out differently than what the rest of the world is living out. And so he comes and he starts to bring us here and, and he takes these moments to just focus on, on what children, how they are supposed to act and how they're supposed to behave within, within that family and how parents are supposed to relate to them. What we see here is that there's this emphasis on, on, on there's this value put on the family, this value that we don't see in our culture nowadays. We don't see the importance of the family and, and how we choose to interact with one another. But we know that, that God has always intended the family to work a certain way. Ever since he instituted it back in Genesis 2.24, he says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And so we see that God is the one who's instituted the family, who, who calls us to live a certain way within the family and gives each person within that a role. And he calls us that we are to be fruitful and multiply. And as I look out here, I see that that's not a problem for us here. And that's great. But that's not the only thing that God calls us to do. He calls us to function a certain way within this family unit. And as we learned last week, how how spouses are to relate. And now we're going to take some time to just focus on on children and parents' relationship. And we see by the value that we see that Scripture gives to family. that, That we're not just, our kids, our children are not just status symbols for us. They're not just something that we trot out when we were friends. Because that's what everyone else is doing. That we, we, we have kids and we, we, we're told to function a certain way because there's value, there's importance into the family. More importance than what the society around us tell us. For a while, while we lived in Philly, Keisha worked at, at a daycare. And oftentimes you had these, these parents who would have children and they'll bring them to the daycare at 6 o'clock in the morning, come back, pick them up at 6.30, go home, and the nannies take care of the kids. 
And so they don't spend any time with, with their kids. The only time they go out is on the weekends when, when they show them off to their friends. And we've seen that in our society, that kids have just become a status symbol. And if we're not careful, that same mindset will creep into the church. That all we do, we're just concerned with being fruitful and multiply, but we're not concerned with being fathers. We're not concerned with being mothers in our family. And we see here that Paul says that there's value to children. There's value to the family. And and in my years of working with, with youth, and as I talked to parents, as the kids got older, and as they were going off to college, one of the common things I heard from parents is, is I just wish I had more time. I, had a, I wish I had more time to just share, the, share with them what, what I do, share them with love with them, and, and point them to God. And I wish I had more time to just be, would have been a father to them. The truth is, is, is we get into this mindset of we have kids, and, and it's for 18 years, and, and there's days where those seem like they're going to be a long 18 years. There's days where it's just hard. But the truth is is that kids should really come with something stamped on their head or with T-shirts that says they're yours for a limited time. That you, You don't have all of your life to really shape and mold them. Kids are ours. Children are ours for a limited time. As one pastor said I read this week, says that children are like wet cement. We have a short period of time to teach and mold them. And that's the mentality that we have to have, is that we don't have all our life to really shape our kids and bring them as disciples of Christ, that we have a short amount of time. And we need to go back to seeing that God views children as a blessing, and therefore we need to see them as a blessing as well. And we have to come to this understanding of what God has called us to do, how he's called us to live and function as a family unit. It's all because of what Christ has done. Everything that we do as a family, the way we interact as fathers and mothers, the way that we interact as spouses has to do because of what Christ has done for us. So as we jump in, we're going to be in Ephesians 6, verses 1 through 4. And if I have to give this a, a main idea, a main point, a thesis statement, is this. That the Christian family is to be Christ-centered and gospel-magnifying in all areas, in our relationships. In everything that we do, in everything that we function as a family, we have to be centered on the Word of God, and we have to magnify the gospel in our lives. And if we live that out, if we look at the Word, and we let the Word determine how we parent, we let the Word determine how we function as children within our family, then we will be gospel-magnifying. The world will look at us, they will see something different, and we can just point to the gospel of Christ. That's what we choose to live out. So once again, my thesis statement today is that the Christian family is to be Christ-centered and gospel-magnifying in all areas, in all relationships. Not just certain aspects, but in everything that we do. We're going to be in Ephesians 6, verses 1 through 4. And if you have your Bibles, feel free to open it up with us as we read the Word of God. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we humble ourselves before your throne. We acknowledge that, that we are wretched human beings, that we don't have it all together, that we are still learning what it means to be disciples of Christ. We're still learning what it means to be parents as you've called us to be, Father God. As we open up your word, Lord, convict us. 
Mold us, Father God. Teach us. Show us the areas where we're falling short as children, where we're falling short as mothers, where we're falling short as fathers, Father God. Heavenly Father, we ask that you move in us today. Father, use me to speak your truth. Use me to point people to you, Father God, more than anything else. May I decrease and may you increase. We eliminate any distractions right now, Father God, as we take these next several moments to spend time in your word. May we be able to hone in and focus and really receive what you want us to receive. We pray all this in your son's mighty and powerful name. Amen. So we see here, Paul starts off chapter 6 with children. And I can just spend a few moments here just showing the importance of, of Paul even taking the time out to address children specifically. We may think that that's, oh, yeah, that's, of course he will. But when you think about the culture, when you think about the society of who Paul is writing to, by, by simply mentioning, by calling them out and putting them in here, Paul is giving children worth. He's giving them value. This was a huge shift in the culture that, we, that they were in. The, the people in Ephesus, they lived in a culture, in a Greco-Roman culture, that did not value children, that saw them as mere possessions. One commentator writes that, that the Roman Empire, that unwanted babies were abandoned, weak and deformed ones killed, and even healthy children were regarded by many as a partial nuance because they inhibited sexual promiscuity and complicated easy divorce. So Paul, he's intentional by saying children. He's telling them, you have worth. You have value within the church, children. You are individuals. He doesn't just say boys. He doesn't just say girls, but he's just, he says children. This, this is referring to children of all ages, whether you're, whether you're a young one in here or whether you're 16, 17, 18, and you're on your way out of the house. This even applies to us as adults. We are still children to our parents. But specifically, he's giving children, the offsprings of all parents, worth here, value, that, that you play a role within the church. They had been lost by coming, subsiding, and choosing to go with culture instead of the word of God. People have lost that value that children really have within the family unit and within the church body. And he's saying, you need to get back to that. You need to get back to seeing children as blessing. You need to get back to seeing them as having worth within the family unit, having worth within the church. We need to see children as blessings again. As it says in Psalms 127, 3 to 5, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Paul here is lifting up children. And he's saying, look at them, see their worth, see their value within the church. Love them, treat them right. One commentator said that this, by Paul just mentioning children, this elevates them to a status of mere, this lifts them out of a status of mere possessions to, to persons, conferring upon them a dignity and worth that is not given to them in unbelieving societies. We need to move back to really seeing our children as of value that God has placed on them. He's also pointing out to children. He's saying, you are your own individuals. 
You have a calling from God. God has called you to live a certain way, to function a certain way within the family. And so please listen up. So by addressing them as well, Paul is saying you are held accountable to function in a certain way within the family unit according to the word of God. That leads me to my first point, that children are called to honor their parents because of who they are in Christ, not who their parents are, not because their parents are good, not because their parents are believers, but because of who God has called them as children of God. They are to honor their parents in the familiar relationship. See this in verses 1 through 3. He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, for this is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, that you may live long in the land. Here we see Paul calling children to obey. He doesn't, he doesn't quantify. He doesn't say, obey when you agree with your parents. Obey when you like what they're telling you to do. But if you don't like it, then you don't have to obey. That's not what Paul is saying here. He simply says, obey. And we see this all throughout the scriptures of kids, of children being called to listen to their fathers, take their instructions. We see it in Proverbs 1, 8, where it says, Hear, my son, your father's instructions, and forsake not your mother's teaching. This was so important to Solomon that not only does he say this here in Proverbs 1, 8, but he repeats it in Proverbs 6, 22, and then he repeats it again almost verbatim in 23, 22, to obey. Simply obey. But as, as Wes mentioned last week, when, when talking about wives submitting to her husband, it doesn't mean just pledge full allegiance. It doesn't mean that you just do whatever your parents ask you to do. As one commenter says, the only exception to that obedience is in matter of doing what is wrong. Every believer should refuse to do anything that is clearly against God's will that is taught in Scripture. So you don't have to obey your parents when they're asking you to sin. If you're at the store and your parents say, hey, slip this, this candy bar in your pocket or, or put this candy bar in my purse and don't worry about it. You don't have to do that. You don't have to sin in your obedience to your parents. If, if your parents is hurting you or, or hurting someone you know and they're saying, be quiet. Don't say anything to anyone. You don't have to do that. You do not remain silent. You do not have to obey your parents when it will lead you into sin. With that said, we do see that Paul is saying that children are to obey your parents. So the question is why? Why should you obey your parents? We see that Paul gives us two, two reasons here. He says, obey your parents in the Lord. Your obedience is the result of who you are in Christ, not who your parents are. It doesn't matter if your parents are believers or not. It doesn't matter if you think you have good parents or not. It doesn't matter if you agree or if you want to. We obey because that's what God has called us to do. Your obedience is not contingent on anything else other than what God has called you to do in Christ. We see that, that disobedience to parents is taken very seriously throughout, throughout the scriptures. Paul, in, in Romans 1.30, when, he, when he's talking about in Romans 1 about the unrighteousness and how all the wrath of God is going to fall on those who, who practice unrighteousness, right in the middle of all those grave sins that he lists, that he, lists he says, disobedience to parents. 
This is, this is a grave sin to not obey your parents, to not do as they're saying, especially if what they're saying honors God, especially what they're saying doesn't lead you to sin. Disobedience to parents is a grave sin when it comes to the scriptures. And so Paul has, God has a purpose for the family. He has a purpose on how we are to walk out as family union. And each person within the family is called to live a certain way. We saw that last week and we're seeing that this week. The second reason that we are to obey our parents, Paul says at the end of verse 1, for this is right. In other words, what he's saying here, that this is correct, this is just, this is the righteous thing to do, to obey your parents because of who God has called you to be within your family. We should obey, children should obey and honor their parents because that's how God intended the family to function. It's not on, on our feelings, it's not on our emotions, but it's because that's what God calls us to do in his holy word. It's how he intended it. It's how he designed the family to function. See, this Paul says in Colossians 3.20, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. When we choose to walk the way that God has called us to walk, when we choose to function within the family the way God intended us to function, it pleases him. Brings him joy when he sees husbands loving their wives, when he sees wives submitting in godly way to their husband, and when he sees children obeying their parents and parents lovingly caring, lovingly taking the kids under their wing and bringing them up in his ways, it brings joy to God because that's how he intended it to function. He goes on, Paul, in verse 2, says, honor your father and mother. Here, this idea here of honor, it's getting to the action behind obeying. Oftentimes, we children would like to obey their parents, but it's not until after about 15 minutes of arguing with their parents about why they don't have to clean the room, why they don't have to pick up the toys. So this is getting to, this, to the action, the attitude behind the action. When your parents says, go clean up the room, are you just... Why? It's how are you obeying? We need to be honoring our parents, our fathers, and our mother. And we need to hold them in high regard. We need to have a reverence for them because that's what God is calling us to do. This command here, this is Paul quoting from Exodus 20, 12. And we see this just in the Gospels alone, this command here of honoring your father and mother. It's repeated five times all throughout the, the Gospels. We see it in Matthew 15, 4 and 19, 19. You see it again in Mark 7, 10 and in 10, 19. And finally, we see it again in Luke 18, 20. There's an importance here. There's something that, that is important to our walk, that we honor our fathers and mothers. We see this, that, that he says that it may go, this is the first commandment that, with a promise that it may go well with you, that it may live long in the land. What does that mean? So when, the, when the Christian family is functioning the way God designed it, when you're walking out in the family the way God intended you to walk out, there is this rich, God-given harmony and satisfaction that falls over that family. It doesn't mean that you're happy. It doesn't mean that, that it's not difficult, that it's not hard. But there's this joy and peace that comes from just walking in our families the way God intended us to walk. That's what he's getting at here. With, with, that it may go well with you, that it may live long in the land. Our relationships with our parents, they, they impact everything else. 
When you look at the, at the Ten Commandments and, and you see the first table of the commandments, which is the first four, that's dealing with our relationship with God. And when you look at the second table of commandments, they really deal with our relationship with our man, with our neighbor. And at the very top of that second list of commandments, you see, honor your fathers and mothers. The way we treat our parents, the way we honor them, the way we obey them, that will ultimately have an effect on how we look at the rest of mankind, how we deal with other people. And that is why with that second table, it's at the very top. Because all else flows from our family. Everything that we do in our family flows out into the rest of our lives. If we're not obeying, if we're not honoring our fathers and mothers, it will ultimately have an effect on how we function in our society. Even society takes that into account, right? They say, if you want to know how your husband, your future husband would treat you, see how he treats his mother. They know that there's, there's something to that. So the way that we interact as family will ultimately have an impact on the way we interact with the, West, with the rest of the world. This idea that it may go well with you and that it may live long in the land speaks to this order and stability that comes from being in a family that is functioning, that is living out, that is walking in the way God intended them to. And so we see that everybody within the family unit has a purpose, that God is calling them to walk a certain way. And that leads me to my second point. It says that fathers should seek to point their children to Christ in every encounter and in every aspect of your relationship. And then how we act towards them and how we as fathers respond to our children and how we discipline them. All that has an effect on them looking at Christ and becoming disciples of, of Christ. I'm getting ahead of myself. Here we see, starts verse 4, with fathers. And while this verb here, this word used for fathers, we see it used in, in Hebrews eleven twenty three 23, when it talks about both of Moses' parents, where it says, By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. So while this could mean both parents, and, and, and to an extent it does, Mothers, you're not exempt from this because it says fathers. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't provoke your children to anger. It doesn't mean that you don't play a role in discipling your kids and making them disciples of Christ. It's true for both. As one commentator noted, both parents need to teach kids. While the father bears the primary responsibility for training and instruction, both share in the task of making children disciples of Jesus. So it's true, mothers, you are just as capable of provoking your child to anger. And you are just as instrumental in making your children disciples of Christ. But we do see that Paul is taking the time to focus on the fathers here. He does call them out. He is emphasizing their role within the family when it comes to raising their kids. Fathers carry much of the load as they're put into that position of authority by God as the head of the household. So it falls on their shoulders doesn't mean that mothers get a pass. It's that we see that God has designed a family to function a certain way and puts the fathers at the head of the household, and therefore the responsibility falls on them. So he gives fathers here two specific challenges. He calls them to, 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 to interact with the kids and to raise them up in certain ways. Now those, those, those play out in several different ways within the family they all do the same thing. They all help us point our kids to Christ and see and make sure that it is Christ-centered, make sure that it's gospel-magnifying. 
first one here, Paul says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Now, he isn't just talking about singular moments. He isn't just talking about when you, when you say something or when you discipline your kid and they get angry, even though you, you're right in that discipline. That's not what he's referring to here. This is more of a continual, repeated, ongoing pattern of treatment of your children that leads them to anger, that leads them to resentment. As the King James says, do not, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. Your kids don't become wrathful because of one time that you told them to do something. They become, they, they held up this business, they become wrathful towards parents because it's a repeated ongoing offense that we as fathers do not take into account. In other words, do not irritate, do not cause intense frustration in your children. As we see in Colossians 3.21, what happens is, is when he says, Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. We play such a key role in our children's lives that if we don't walk the way God has called us, we can lead our children to wrath. We can make them discouraged and we can push them further away from the truth that is in the gospel because of how we interact with them and how we live out the way God has called us to be if we don't live out the way God has called us to be. I'm not saying that we coddle our children. I'm not saying that we treat them like expensive pieces of china. But we have to care for them. We have to care for them in a loving manner, in a way that doesn't provoke anger, that doesn't lead them to wrath. So how does that look like? Here are some, some ways that I think we don't initially think about, but oftentimes they, 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 they can lead our children to anger if we're not careful. One of those ways is that we... Oftentimes, we fail to allow our children to be children. We see our kids and we know what's, what they're capable of. We know how smart they are. We know what, what they know. And, and so when, when we hold these expectations on them, you need to act. We know how you can act. So we expect our 5-year-olds to act like 10-year-olds or our 15-year-olds to act like 25-year-olds. And we don't let them be children. And if we don't allow them to run, if we don't allow them to make mistakes and get hurt every so often, we don't allow them to be children, that can lead them to resentment, that can lead them, that can provoke them to anger, as it says here. Another way is if we treat them harshly or cruelly. Perhaps we ridicule them in front of others. When they do something wrong, we want to make sure that everyone knows that we're good parents. So we pull them, outside, we pull them in front of everyone and say, you're wrong in this. This wasn't how you were supposed to do this. And we treat them too harshly and cruelly. That can lead children to becoming resentful towards their parents. It can provoke them to anger. Another way I think happens so commonly in our culture today is we fail to express approval in the little things. We're so busy. We're so caught up in, in ourselves and watching what we want to watch, and reading what we want to watch, or, or scrolling through social media, that when our kids come because they built something or they drew something, look, Dad, look, Mom, look what I did. We can't even turn and acknowledge what they did, but we just say, yes, good job, son. We don't even lose a beat on what we're doing. They see that, and they eternalize. They know when we're really taking an interest in them. They know when we really know that we, when they really did a good job. They know how, what we say and do. Oftentimes, we fail to express it in the little things. Another way is that we become overbearing or, or helicopter parenting. This goes right along with, with not letting them be children. We, we want to protect them from everything the world has to offer. And so what we do is that we become overbearing, and they feel like they never get a chance to do or experience life. 
or learn from their mistakes because we're, we're, we're helicopter parenting, we're overbearing on them, and that in itself can create a resentment in, their, in children where, where they start to, to be angry and hate the way their parents are parenting them, and so they rebel against that. I've seen that work out in my own family with some of my cousins. The moment they're able to leave the house, they are out, and it's because their parents were overbearing, and they're like, I have freedom, and it creates this resentment. In other ways, this arbitrary exercise of discipline. We're not consistent with our discipline. One day they get a spanking for something. The next day they do that same thing. We don't give them a spanking. And the day after that, they do it again and we give them a spanking. And they, well, what am I supposed to do? One day I get this, one day I don't. And if we're not consistent, if we're not honoring God in the way that we discipline our kids, it can lead them to anger. It can lead them to resentment towards you. John MacArthur writes, Proper physical discipline is not a matter of exerting superior authority and strength, but correcting in love and reasonableness. Do you discipline your kid because you're angry, because your pride was hurt, or do you discipline your kid because it's what God is calling us to do? Oftentimes we have to check ourselves. I remember being at at a life group in, in Philly when we were living there. and We were there, and the, and the husband, he's leading us in, in the small group. And the wife takes the kids upstairs, and you can hear them. They're, they're giving her a hard time. And she just comes down, and she says, Guess, I, I'm, I'm too angry. I, can't, I cannot discipline them right now. It's not going to be out of love. It's going to be out of anger. I need you to go and take care of this. And he did. He dropped what he was doing. He asked someone to take over, and he went up there. And he dealt with the kids, and he gave them a spanking because they weren't listening and obeying. But, but just the mere awareness that I'm do, if I do this right now, it's going to be out of anger and it's going to come too harshly. The awareness of that, that really had an impact on my wife and I, on how we choose to discipline our kids. We realize we cannot discipline out of anger. That ultimately they deserve to be disciplined because they're sinning against God, not sinning against us. It's not about how we feel. It's about what God has called them to do. Another way that we can create resentment or provoke our kids to anger is through Dumb feeling unwanted. It's through neglect. Because we don't want to sacrifice our time. We don't want to sacrifice our needs or, or we don't want to sacrifice our desires. So, so we neglect them. We say we don't have time to do that. And when we do that, it creates this resentment towards parents. It creates this anger. You're leading them that way when you neglect them. When they ask you to play, but you're too focused on doing what you want to do because you want time later on, because you want to finish that chapter later on, so you don't take the time to play with them, or you don't take the time to just acknowledge them, and you neglect them. That is wrong, and it would lead your kids to have resentment towards you. We are called to lead, to disciples our children, and make them, and lead them, and help them along their faith journey. We do that by showing love, by showing compassion, that's what we're called to do. In Psalms 103.13, it says, As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. We're called to love and take care of our children. Realize this, like I said earlier, we have them for a limited time. We need to take advantage of every opportunity we have to really bring them up in the ways of the Lord. That's the next thing Paul calls us to do here, moving along. It says, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. 
This idea, this bring them up. It's that same verb that we see back in verse 29 in chapter 5, where he says, For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. To bring them up, it's to, to love them, it's to nourish them, it's to cherish them and make sure that they're coming up in the ways of the Lord by nourishing that in them. Not only are you, do you nourish them by providing for their physical needs, but you nourish them by showing them affection, by loving them and taking care of them and teaching them about Jesus in the ways of Jesus. This idea of, of, of bring them up, it's to take a vested interest in your child's faith. To bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord is to take a vested interest in your child's faith means that, that the only times that, that we bring them up in the ways of the Lord is not when we open up the scriptures for, for um, family worship. It's not when they ask us deep questions about God. It's not when, when, when we on in the car on our way home as we talk about church on Sunday. Those aren't the only times that you raise your kids up. That's not the only times that you bring them up in the discipline and instructions of the Lord. This idea of discipline, it's training them. It has a broad range of meanings. It's this idea of physical training, training them in certain values or in a certain of, of a particular way. This also has this idea of, of disciplinary punishment, right? Because we know what Scripture says that, that in Proverbs thirteen twenty four, whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. And that's what this word discipline here is. In, it's encompassing all of that. You're training your kids up in the ways of God. Training them up in the discipline and instruction. You're teaching them. You're counseling them. You're, you're giving them warnings in life. Be careful going down that route. Be careful by, by when, when you decide what classes you want to take. Be careful in the way you interact. I wouldn't hang out with that person. We are called to bring up our children in the ways of the Lord. And I think what happens is we fall into this trap of thinking that the only time we do that is when we physically open up the Bible with them and when we lead them into scriptures. And we cannot fall into the church, into that trap. Your children will learn the ways of God by observing you, by watching how you interact with your spouse, by listening to the way you talk about your in-laws or the way you talk about your co-workers, by listening to the way you talk about perhaps brothers and sisters in the church. Your kids are looking at you. And you will bring them up in the ways of the Lord by living out the gospel in your lives. When, 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 you, when you love your wife, they will see that. When you submit to the will of God, they will see that. When you repent before God, they will see that. They will eternalize that. Your kids, you bring them up in the ways of the Lord by living out the gospel. That's how you point them to Christ. That's how you make sure that you raise them in the ways of the Lord. We have to make sure that we're taking the time out. That we're being examples. That they know what it looks like to live a life devoted to God because that's what we portray in our lives. That's how we choose to live that out. Says you live them. It says discipline in the in instruction of the Lord. You bring them up in the ways 
of God. Everything that we do in our life, everything that we do in our families needs to point back to God. Why are you saying this to me? Why can I not do this, God? Why, why, why Dad? Why shouldn't I lie right now? Well, that's because what, that's what God says in his word. The way we interact with our children has to be based on the word of God. If we really want to make an impact, if we really want them to be Christ-centered, if we really want them to come and know what it means to have a relationship with God, we have to live that out in our lives. Not just say it, not just speak it, but be about it. We are called as a family, as Christians, to be Christ-centered and gospel-magnifying. That starts with us fathers. We lead our families in that. We teach them, in the, in the, in, we give them Christian instruction. We give them Christian discipline. And then we show them what it means to honor the Lord by living that out in all areas. We're the ones who are responsible for our children and bringing them up. And we do this because it's what scriptures call us to. We do this because of what Christ did on the cross for us. By giving us, by making us a new creation, by dying on the cross on our behalf, we are now called to live a certain way, not just at work, not just when we're with friends, but within our own family unit. We're called to live a certain way because of what Christ has done for us on the cross. We need to be pointing our kids to Christ. We, as fathers, need to make sure that as a family, we are Christ-centered and that we are always Gospel magnifying in every area, in every relationship. This takes time. It's not easy. It takes work. There's going to be days where where you just don't want to, where you're tired. But this is what God has called us to do. To live this out in our lives. If I can just end with a quote by Danny Aiken. That really, I think, shows this is what we need to be doing in our lives. It's simple. It's simple. Have fun and talk about Jesus a lot. That's it. That's how we are to live our lives. Have fun with our children and talk about Jesus a lot. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that in the midst of everything, you've blessed us with children. Father God, you just don't say here, be fruitful and multiply. But you tell us, you show us in your word how that is to work out, how that is to be applied in our lives, what it means to be mothers, what it means to be fathers, what it means to be husbands, and what it means to be wives, Father God. In times of difficulty, when it's hard to be a parent, when it's hard, when when it's a lot easier to just say, you know what, go figure it out, here's a TV. May we lean in on you. May we lean in on your word. We pray all this in your son's mighty and powerful name. Amen.